Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from a fan fiction called But My Gun Is Aimed At You But It Misses by today's guest fan fiction writer, Silenced Mocking Jay. Kim Dok Cha is getting antsy lately, and Yu Jong Hyuk is too. It's been nearly a month since the First Apostle has tried to recruit him to kill his roommate, but nothing out of the ordinary has happened since then. Kim Dok Cha still wakes up late every day, still hurriedly eats breakfast, still ends up dashing off to Minasoft so he won't miss the 7 a.m. bus outside their apartment. Even with Yu Jung-hyuk tracking his daily routines with the bug he plants under Kim Dok-cha's shoes, there's not a single hint that Kim Dok-cha is anyone out of the ordinary. Neither is there any hint of the First Apostle's goons showing their faces around the neighborhood, which, if to be honest, unnerves Yu Jung-hyuk a lot more than Kim Dok-cha's blindness to the dire circumstances he's in. But Kim Dok-cha is staying at work for overtime more often than not, and he's been coming back home more exhausted than ever. And even when Yu Jung-hyuk asks about what's been going on at his workplace, whether there are people harassing him at Minasoft, whether he's being bullied into taking up too much work, whether there have been people stalking him or causing him to feel unsafe lately, I'm fine, Kim Dok-cha always says cheerfully, waving off any of Yu Jung-hook's very valid concerns. Stop looking like you're going to murder my co-workers. Besides, you hover around me enough to be a stalker, you know. Yu Jung-hook doesn't dignify that sentence with a response. Yu Jung-hook is not a stalker by nature. He is not. He is not. Why are you so on edge lately, anyway? Kim Dok-cha asks rubbing at his tired eyes after another shift at Minasoft, one where he'd stumbled back home and nearly immediately face-planted onto the sofa, with Yu Jung-hyuk having to drag him out of the living room and into the shower. Because of an idiot who somehow got himself into a hit list, Yu Jung-hyuk thinks, as he roughly empties out the dirty laundry basket and leaves Kim Dok-cha sitting in the shower. Because of an idiot who's about to die. None of your business is what he says roughly instead and Kim Dok-cha huffs out what seems like an exasperated sigh. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world... Greetings from the wild arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fan fiction writer today is Silenced Mocking Jay. He has been a member on AO3 since 2017, and he currently has 29 fanfictions posted for Yuri on Ice, My Hero Academia, Link Click, Cells at Work, Helix Waltz, High Q, and Omniscient Reader. Jay loves to write and describes himself as a writer who writes more on Discord than on AO3. He likes to drop fic drabbles into random Discord servers and then never expound on them again. <laughs> Jay, Jay, welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you doing? Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm doing really well. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I have a question for you about this practice of dropping drabbles into random Discord servers. Is there a term for that? Is there like a special word for whatever that is? I think that's so interesting. Gosh, I have no idea. I think in recent years, the main victims of this practice of mine have been the link click server and the omniscient reader server. I have this habit of you know, whenever you get new ideas, new fan fiction ideas, you just, oh, I have to write this down instantly. But I don't think I can turn this into a full fan fiction. <laughs> so what I do is I usually hit to the nearest brainstorming channel in the fandom servers. And then I go, hey, here's a new idea. And then I word vomit 
all the way. And then I ditch. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, bye. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I laughed when I first read this little bit because um, the fan fiction story that we're covering today starts with a very intense sniper scene. And that sniper scene is the first image that came to mind when I was thinking about this dropping random <laughs> drops into Discord servers. Cause I was like, this is fix sniping. Like if there's no word for it, that's what I'm going to call it from now on. It's fix sniping, just a precise one shot strike out the window and then you're gone, you know, melting back into the shadows, never to be heard from again. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, so that's funny. a pretty good term for it. Like fix sniping. Because usually I, what I do is that I just drop in at like odd hours of the night, usually like 2, 3 a.m. And then I start typing. And then if somebody's online, they're like, oh, Jay's typing again. And I'm like, shush, I'm typing something new. And then I drop. Maybe I think I've tried to, I've tried to copy paste what I've written in Discord into, you know, Google Documents before. And it can range from anywhere up to like 500 words to easily a thousand plus. So yeah, there really are travels. <laughs> That's so much fun though. That's so cool. I just, uh, I, that gave me a laugh and I was like, oh man, it's like fix sniping. That's amazing. So before we talk about your fan fiction today though, we do have to go back a little bit in history because I want to know what your background is with fan fiction. How did you first discover fan fiction for the first time? Gosh, okay, that's a question. My first so-called official foray into fanfiction, aka fanfiction on AO3, was I think in 2016. I had just joined the Yuri on Ice fandom, and I think that's where I wrote my first fanfic on AO3, yeah. I joined a very nice writing server for uh, Victory Shippers, which is basically like the main ship of Yuri on Ice, and... They were very, very nice and welcoming to me there. And under their encouragement, uh, that was where I wrote my first fanfic. And I posted it to AO3. But if you want to go further back than that, technically, I started a Wattpad. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. A lot of people do. I know that, you know, honestly, I don't know much about Wattpad, so I can't remember quite when Wattpad first became a thing. I don't remember the year it came online. 2013, 2014-ish. Something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. So I know that a lot of the younger folks in fandom these days, a lot of them got their start on yeah, Wattpad. Yeah, absolutely. I think my generation, a lot of us started on Wattpad and then we slowly migrated to EO3 as we grew older. For Wattpad, I started with Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson and yeah, that's the fandom. Do you remember how you ended up on Wattpad? Like, did one of your friends tell you about it? Or was it an accident that you found fanfiction there? Or how did that happen? Oh, I think it was a friend thing, if I'm not wrong. Because, you know, I had classmates then when I got into Percy Jackson. We were all this group, happy little group, fangirling over our favorite characters and whatnot. And I think one of us already had a Wattpad account prior. And she recommended it to all of us. And we were like, hell yeah, we'll all start using Wattpad. So we all created accounts and we all started writing there. I think our old accounts are still up there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Nothing yeah. ever really disappears from the internet. At least that's what they say. So <laughs> That's true, but I think uh, we lost, because uh, apart from our individual Wattpad accounts, we actually had a shared one where we wrote original stories. So I think that one's still up because I think the person who had the password to the shared email, forgot it. (laughs) So now we really can't delete it. (laughs) Oh, it's there forever. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. That is hilarious. So here's a question for you. I grew up in a generation where um, the internet was kind of a brand new thing when I was 14, you know, right? So people were just starting to put their fan fictions online for the first time. So when I was in high school, I never had any real life friends who did the fandom thing or did the fan fiction thing. So for me, discovering fan fiction online was like, oh my God, what is this? I've never seen this before. (laughs) What? But as I talk to more and more folks that are in younger generations, I'm starting to realize that for you guys, 
Sometimes when you read fan fiction for the first time, it's not so much of a surprise for you guys because, you know, your friends in real life know about it. They're talking about it. It's just kind of a thing that you all do together. Is that kind of how it felt like for you, like just kind of a thing that everybody was doing? Or was it a surprise when you first like encountered it for the first time? I wouldn't say it was really a surprise, but I think in my generation, and I think it still holds true to quite an extent today, a lot of the fan fiction writing, like, you know, real life friends that you have, they are usually all, you know, groups of girls getting together, talking about their shared interests. So, you know, it's not necessarily incredibly widespread nowadays. It's still kind of centralized towards, you know, groups of teenage girls. Uh, starting, I mean, in the younger generation, if that makes sense. But I think because, you know, you already start out with the community, the small community and your friends. So it wasn't that much of a surprise when I first went online and I saw much more fan fiction. But it was an incredible shock. Like rather than not having the worldview at all and discovering it for the first time, it was like, you know, that Chinese idiom where like, you're a frog at the bottom of the well and you only see a very tiny little circle of the sky. So you think the sky is that small. <laughs> so discovering how vast the community was, was the more shocking, surprising thing for you? Yes, pretty much. Because, yeah, the Yuri and I fandom was also my first introduction to actual kind of established fanfiction communities as well as fanfic writer communities. So... I think a lot of it, like my experience in, in the Yuri on Ice fandom was less of a new discoveries thing and more of a, I have so much more new material to read. I will go mad with power for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also why I started, actually. Yeah, well, that's the fun part of getting into a fandom for the first time. You know, you feel like the whole wild world is open to you and there's so much material to enjoy because you've never seen it before. And it's just like it's, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they compared the fandom experience to falling in love. Oh, yes. And they yes. said it's just so much fun to fall in love. And there are infinite fandoms out there. So you can fall in love again and again and again. And I was just like, oh, that's a really great way to put it, actually. That is how it feels. Yes. Yeah, that is the wondrous thing about fan communities, I think. Because as long as, you know, there are artists and writers out there, show producers, etc., etc., that keep on doing what they love, then more of these communities can start showing up and building an actual community around them. And yeah, like you said, it really is like falling in love over and over again. Like finding a new family, sort of. Exactly. And we're all hopeless romantics, so. Absolutely. Now, what made you want to become a writer in the first place? And then I also want to know, as a writer, just in general, what inspires you the most? Regarding what made me want to become a writer in the first place, I think it started out as a way to pass time with my group of friends. We had this day where we would pass notebooks, school notebooks, back and forth to each other in class. And we would add on, like those games where you would add one sentence to a story and then the next person after you continues the story. Yeah, like a round robin. Yes, yes. We would do that with fan fiction and original stories in general. And then afterwards, once I got into the Yuri on Ice fandoms and all the other fandoms after that, I was like, oh, there's so many people out here writing. And it makes me want to write too. Because, you know, I was a kid, I still am at heart. You know, you have all these ideas in your head that you just can't seem to get rid of. And you think they would be wonderful. And you want them to have a chance to be wonderful. You want to show them to other people and see if you really can bring out that joy in them, you know. So I think that's also part of why I became a writer and part of why I still write today. Because, you know, like, a writer is a little bit of nothing without an audience, I think. Like, without some readers. Being able to see how, you know, the readers react and you see how, you know, what joy you bring to them. All the happy comments I get on my AO3. There are people, like, sometimes after I drop fanfics, there are people that go onto Discord to 
kind of compliment me on my fic and say, oh, it made my day. And I really like making people happy like that, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a very compelling and almost powerful feeling, you know, to be like, wow, I was able to make someone's day, make someone happy with something I made. How cool is that? Yeah, like you said, it really is kind of an empowering feeling. And I think seeing other people also fall in love with what you create is quite magical. <laughs> it is. It is quite magical because like, you know, it's one thing when you love the idea that you came up with so much in your head, you know, that's satisfying in and of itself. But when you have others who want to come and share that world and that vision with you, ugh, yeah, there's just something so good about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It like amplifies the experience, I think, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, regarding fan fiction in general, because it sounds like you've been involved with, you know, reading and writing fics for a while now. What's the most surprising thing that you've learned about fan fiction so far? And then what do you love the most about fan fiction in general? Hmm. What's the most surprising thing I've learned about fan fiction so far? I don't know if I would count it as surprising. But it was eye-opening, I think, to see the amount of different writing styles and all the terms that can be used to describe them. Because I'm quite interested in English as well. English, I guess, linguistics, but specifically fandom linguistics. Like, you know, all the terms like lemon, ships, how did they develop? Whatever terms we are using right now to describe our favorite characters. Larbo, cinnamon roll. It's very interesting to me. And so I think seeing the range of, you know, the types of writing style that people use, like some use very narrative styles, others use like short choppy sentences and stuff, and how that contributes to the fic that they create, it's really, really fun for me. And it was very, very eye-opening because I think a lot of published books, they tend to have the same incredibly polished sort of tone, I guess you would say. Because they've gone through multiple rounds of editing, multiple rounds of vetting, and they've gotten published and stuff. But on sites like AO3, you can find some fics that are a little bit rougher. Maybe they're not so perfect. Maybe they might seem a little choppy. But, you know, the emotion in that fic shines through because of it. Yes, and the individual style of the writer can come through a little stronger, I think, that way too, which is exactly what you were saying before. I love that. You know, no one's ever brought that up on the show before. <laughs> That's a unique point of view. I love that. I love that because you're right. You're right. You see some amazing styles come through and you're just like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's like the difference between holding like a mug from Ikea and a little hand-thrown mug made by somebody that's in a junkyard sale and you go up to it and you pick it up and okay, maybe it's a little bit lopsided or lumpy, but you know, it fits in your hands and it's really, really cute. And so you love it for that. <laughs> you do, especially because, you know, there's not another one quite like it. When you have something that unique in your hands, nobody else can say that they have quite the same kind of thing or creation, whatever it is. And I just think that that's a beautiful concept. But um, as far as fan fiction in general goes, what are your favorite things about that? I get to see a whole bunch of different takes on the same characters and the same plots, etc., etc. And this is specific to me, I think. Well, I guess it will apply to other people too, but particularly for me, because I really, really love alternate universes, AUs. I'm the kind of writer that will suffer incredibly hard if you ask me for a canon-compliant fic, because I'm terrible at, you know, doing really, really in-depth character analysis and meta and rehashing canon. But AUs, you know, they give you the opportunity to go and do like a thousand different worlds and you can do it all differently. And it's very, very fun to see that. Like, you know, there are probably like 15, 20 different takes of Hanahaki that I've seen before and stuff like that. Variations on Hanahaki. I saw one particularly incredible fic, I think. I can't remember which fandom it was for, but they delved into, you know, Hanahaki disease, you know, the disease that makes you grow flowers in your lungs when you're pining after someone, unrequited love. Yes. So 
most people usually just kind of treat it as a random little medical condition. And I think that's how it's usually presented in a lot of fics. But there was this one fic I've read where they presented Hanahaki as a viral infection spread by flower pollen. And that one has stuck with me since because it's so unique. You know, they gave Hanahaki disease like an actual, you know, an actual way of transmission and a source of origin. And they did so much world building for Hanahaki that I still remember that fake to this day, even though it's probably been like four or five years. I was just about to ask you, was that written before or after coronavirus? You know, because <laughs> like with COVID in mind, right, you would think, oh, that would be an interesting inspiration for something like that. But if it was written before COVID, that's even more interesting <laughs> that somebody just came up with that idea. Oh, my God. Well, how unique. Because you're right. You know, you see Hana hockey fix all over the place, but I've never seen one where it's treated as a transmittable uh, virus. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah, take. it was quite interesting. And, uh, you know, recently, in the fandom spaces, I think there are also other versions of Hanahaki that are popping up. There are, you know, lesser, lesser known so-called fictional diseases, like Star Tears disease, which is also, I think, unrequited love, if I'm not real. But instead of flowers growing in your lungs, you cry stars. And I think you gradually lose your vision. <laughs> so, you know, that's another interesting take on, I think, the entire trope of, oh, I have an incurable disease. And nothing is going to be okay until I confess to the person that I like. True. Well, I'm glad that you told me about that one because, you know, I'm getting to that age where I don't recognize (laughs) like new words and slang anymore. And apparently, like, I don't recognize new tropes as they're being created because I've never heard of that one before to be fair, either. I think Star Tears has actually existed. It's, it was prevalent in the Japanese, on the Japanese side of fandom for quite a while, apparently. In just the recent years that it started trickling its way over. Like, I remember seeing the first posts about Star Tears disease in maybe uh, 2018, 2019. And it was on Tumblr's, but I think the idea hasn't really caught on that much in, in the English-speaking fandom yet, just because a lot of people also still go to Hanahaki for all the flower meanings and whatnot they can add. Right, exactly. The other one that you've mentioned, that sounds so interesting, though. I would love to read a fic like that one day. Um, so yeah, anyone out there who wants to give that trope a shot, please do, because that sounds amazing. Actually, I think I fixed night tier disease before. <laughs> yeah, I dropped it as a little travel thing in the link link discord. I'm not very sure if I published it anywhere. I think I may have moved it to as like a Twitter thread, Twitter fic, but <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere out there. That's what happens when you don't put them on AO3. They just get lost forever. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'll get around to it soon enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, my next question was actually about genres and tropes and things like that. So you may have answered this already with what you just said, because you were talking about, you know, AU fix and things and how that's kind of your favorite thing. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> Would you consider that your favorite genre of fanfic? would be the AU stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. What I read and what I write are different, I think. <laughs> um, regarding reading, I love, I actually really do love like character meta and canon compliant, canon divergent fanfiction. Uh, specifically canon divergent, I think, because I think fic writers that can do it well and still stay true to what I envision the characters are like are really, really good because... God knows I could not do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that takes a special talent to do that because you're kind of doing two things at once, right? You're keeping things sort of canon compliant, but then diverging at some point and making it believable, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't sound contrived. <laughs> I think that's a, that takes a lot of talent. So that's really cool. What about, um, what about tropes? If you had to pick like a favorite trope that you like reading or writing the most, what would that be? Ha <laughs> ha. Hands down, enemies to lovers. <laughs> ah, of course. Such a good choice. I'm such a huge sucker for enemies to lovers. It's about the enemies. It's about, you know, the unresolved. Am I allowed to say this on the podcast? It's about the unresolved sexual tension. 
It is about the unresolved sexual tension and there's so much drama with it, you know? Right. I don't know. I just really love the drama. And then I love watching these writers come up with these like really interesting, believable scenarios that would explain why enemies turn into lovers in the first place. That's always interesting to me. You know, they get <laughs> slowly, they get thrown together. They learn to trust each other, to rely on each other. And it's like, yes. Yes. You see them slowly melting towards one another. And it's just, I don't know. I read this one uh, enemies to lovers fic. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say which fandom it was in because <laughs> I talk about this particular fandom a lot. But <laughs> there was this one part in, it, you know, like, I don't know, maybe not all enemies to lovers are like this, but this one was kind of a a slow burn. It was a series, a really long one, you know? Yes, those are so That good. one scene in the slow burn, when they finally hold hands reluctantly, I was just yes. like, uh, <laughs> yes. this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> I think the two main selling points of enemies to lovers is always that I resolve sexual tension and it's always, you know, learning how to trust each other slowly. But more than that, I think my absolute favorite points in enemies to lovers fan fictions are always the points where you know when one character finally breaks and they're finally honest they're actually honest to the other person for like maybe the first time in their goddamn lives and they're like oh this is how i actually feel about you and i'm like in my bed reading ao3 at 3am fist pumping like yeah Naruto. <laughs> Yes, that payoff scene that just feels so emotionally triumphant to me. It's so relieving. It is relieving. It is. And then you're just like, ugh, totally worth staying up till 3 a.m. for, in my opinion. Absolutely. Totally worth devouring that fig. Like it's a three-course meal, which it is. <laughs> exactly. Like we just never get tired of it around here. So it's totally fine. You know, what we're talking about today, fandom-wise is omniscient reader, or um, I think in, in a lot of circles, it's referred to as omniscient reader viewpoint. And I'm so glad that I was exposed to this through your fan fiction. I'd never heard of this before. So I did do a little bit of background looking into like, what is this? You know, I don't know <laughs> what this is. A very interesting. The premise is very compelling. I thought it was um, unique. You know what it reminded me of a little bit? Um, <laughs> you might not know what this is. This was a popular movie when I was a kid. Um, have you ever heard of Never Ending Story? Do you know what that is? I've heard of it like a couple of times, but I still don't actually know what it is about. Yeah, it's old. It's sort of, sort of the same concept where the main characters are reading a, a book, you know, a story, and then they get pulled into that book, into that story. So this reminded me a little bit of that, right? Where you have, you know, the main character who's like the reader of the, the book or the novel, and then he gets pulled into the world of the novel. So it's very interesting concept. So I was hoping that you could talk just a little bit about what Omniscient Reader is and, uh, and what drew you to this particular fandom. Oh, I can absolutely talk about this. <laughs> okay. Omniscient Reader's Viewpoint. It's always abbreviated to ORV, if you would like to say that. It's a lot less of a mouthful than Omniscient Reader or Omniscient Reader's Viewpoint, at least. <laughs> ORV, much easier to say. Yep. So ORV, I'll give you like the really, really quick rundown. It is a best-selling Korean web novel, one of the most popular in recent years. Probably the most popular, actually. It has been adapted into a webtoon that is still ongoing. There are talks of a live-action movie coming soon, possibly. The web novel itself is completed and translated. And, okay, the story follows Kim Dokja, who is the main character. Uh, we can't call him the protagonist. Who is the main character of the story. And, like you said just now, it's about him reading his favorite novel and for the last 10 or so years he has been the sole reader of this novel it's like maybe 3000 plus 3591 chapters long i am such a nerd 
if I got that number wrong, I am so sore. I'm so sorry, ORV fans. It's like, oh God, I'm running at like no sleep. But yes, so he's the only reader for the past 10 years of this absurdly long novel that everybody else hates. It's incredibly unpopular. He is the only reader that view counts on every single web novel chapter is one. Just him. So until today, like the start of ORV, where he hits the epilogue. And soon after, the world he is in slowly transforms into the world from the novel. And because he is the only one who has read the novel to its very end, uh, he is the only one who knows how to survive in this new world. That's the basic premise of ORV. Oh, that's cool. That's so, so cool. And the world that he gets drawn into, I think you said, or I read somewhere, it, it's like this apocalyptic, dystopian kind of situation. Yeah, it's apocalyptic because the name of the incredibly unpopular web novel that he's reading, you know, it's called The Three Ways to Survive in a Ruined World. So yeah, by nature... The setting is apocalyptic. And that's what he has to survive in because he's the only one who's read to the end. Right. He's the only one with the insider knowledge of the story. Although I was watching this YouTube video about it today to prepare for this. Was it the six minute summary? <laughs> I don't remember because I clicked on so many of them. But there was this one YouTuber that was pointing out that even though... Kim Dok Cha, he does know how this story goes because he's read the entire novel. However, his presence in the world has the potential to change the story because it's introducing that new element into the environment, right? Because he's not part of the original story. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's like a paradox, right? How does the story change or what's the potential for the outcome changing because of his mere presence in the environment. The really interesting part is that actually it's not an entire one-to-one -one recreation of the novel that he has read because there are people he knows from his real life that are also trapped in this novel setting. So basically, um, he's on a train when the, you know, and the, all the world changing starts happening and he's sitting next to his co-worker called Yu sang -ah. And, you know... She's basically his only friend at work. And, you know, she's not from the novel at all. She's a normal person, same like Kim Dokja, but she gets uh, sucked into the apocalyptic world anyways. And she joins Kim Dokja's little party as they try to survive in the world. And there are other characters as well that, you know, they continue to appear within the world. There's a difference between characters that existed in real life prior and novel characters that are introduced. So it's really quite interesting. Oh, that's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah, the whole thing just sounds really, uh, really compelling. So I can absolutely see why people would get really obsessed with this particular web novel, because it's, um, it's a really, really cool idea. And the characters seem really interesting. A lot of people had really great things to say about, um, you know, Kim Dokcha kind of as the MC of the kind of story or whatever, because he's just a really interesting character to watch and follow. Can I nerd out really, really quick? Of course. Yep. Okay. So this is sort of a personal take, but I've seen it echoed across a lot of things. So basically, you know, there's a very popular trope in Japanese and I guess most Asian media, but quite recently there has been a huge surge in Japanese media, you know, isekai, uh, which is the trope where the main character dies in their world and gets reborn into a new world. So ORV is actually quite an interesting take on that trope in that throughout the novel, it actually kind of subverts it to a certain extent. And that's one thing that I find really cool about ORV. The other thing is that ORV seems like a very typical isekai fantasy. When you first look at it, like, oh, the main character is a loser when he starts out, but now he gets tossed into this new world and now he gets to be cool. That's what it's about, right? But no, it's actually an incredibly compelling take about how writers and readers and characters all influence each other in some way and about, you know, what happens when you really love a story, what happens when the story helps you to survive. 
That's why it's really, really popular. Yeah, it seems like the story is asking questions in the subtext. And that's always a compelling thing, I think, when storytelling is asking subtle questions as it goes along. That's my favorite thing in storytelling. I love that. So <laughs> I can absolutely see why that would be interesting. It's so fun because every single time you go, you reread the novel, like I think I've reread it like maybe 20, 20, 30 times. And every single time you go back, you find something new. And when you reread it with the prior knowledge, you start to realize, oh, there are so many things that have been in here all along and you just never, ever noticed them. So that's also one of the really fun things about rereading stories, I think, especially for ORV for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When there are so many details, it's impossible to take them all in the first time around <laughs> or even the second time, you know. So, yeah, I, that's one of the most fascinating things about fandom for me as well. With different fandoms, I love the initial excitement, right? The falling in love part and getting into all of the, the stuff that goes along with that fandom. And then what I'll do is, uh, you know, I'll step away from it for a few years and then I'll go back to it a couple of years down the road and do it all again. And I'm always amazed at how much I missed the first time around with the characters or the storyline or whatever, you know? So sometimes it's like this brand new eye-opening experience when you go back to it a couple of years later and you're like, whoa, <laughs> look at all these things I missed the first time. Yeah, that's really, really fun. You know, sometimes I think, oh, okay, I'm kind of down with ORV. I'm going to go watch this new anime. I'm going to go watch this new show. I'm going to immerse myself into it entirely. And then I come across a really angsty, in character, a canon compliant fan art or fanfic, or maybe even a screenshot from the novel, and I start feeling I start feeling like I want to cry again. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the story won't let me go. The story will not let me go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about your fan fiction. Your fan fiction is called. But my gun is aimed at you, but it misses. Yep. And I just have to state right off the bat, your writing is so clean and so sharp. This was such a joy to read because it was just so well done. I loved every second of this. It was great. So fantastic story. I love that it's an AU. Of course, I wouldn't know that, right? Because I don't know anything about ORV. So to me, like, you know, how would I know if it was AU? Um, I found that out later, right? After talking to you about it a little bit before the show. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I am wondering what inspired you to write this particular AU. And then are there any particular like ideas or themes that you were exploring here in this story that you wanted to talk about as well? Great question. I remember this was actually a Big Bang fic, ORV 2021 Winter Big Bang, I think, uh, organized by uh, the ORV server. Oh, actually, now that I'm looking at my own fic, it was a winter exchange. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I already had the prompts from the person I was gifting to to work off with. So I think they requested something with not too many spoilers because they were a webtoon reader, not a web novel reader. So, you know, it's not complete for them yet. And as well as, they gave me some prompts, I think. I can't remember if the secret agents thing was one of them, but I'm also not sure how I got here, honestly. <laughs> I do remember that this was my first ORV fic that I actually officially published. And I remember the giftee asked me for, like, a Kim Dokja and Yu Jung Kyo ship. Their ship name is Jongdok, by the way. So there's that. I had that to work with. And then I remember I kind of thought, hey, honestly, in canon, they have a really, really nice little enemies to leverage dynamic too. So I was like, okay, let's play on that a little bit more. So it became this kind of undercover thing where Yu Jongkyuk is an assassin and he has no idea his roommate is actually working for the police. Something like that. Yeah. Ah, I love it because it did absolutely have those elements of enemies to lovers. Although I would say it was like a soft 
version of that, right? Yeah. Because they don't actually like hate each other. And honestly, like, <laughs> it seemed to me like uh, Kim Dok Cha really didn't have any animosity towards Yu Chung Hyuk. You know, he seemed like really just happy to be his roommate and happy to see him, you know, and all of that stuff. But then Yu Chung Hyuk is like, ah, I don't hate this guy. Like, he's my roommate, but he's kind of annoying. You know, he's weird and he doesn't take care of himself very well. And he's like, you know, clumsy all the time, you know, all that stuff. And then, of course, the whole time he's trying to hide from his roommate that he's actually an assassin for hire, you know, <laughs> like that's what he does to make money. It's so funny because um, this whole concept reminds me a lot of, uh, remember that movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? Mr. and Mrs. Smith, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yup. That's exactly what I thought of when I was done reading this fic. I was like, Wow. <laughs> That is a lot like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, although your fan fiction was better. So, Aww, Oh, yeah. thank you. I think a lot of assassins that hit Menfic uh, ultimately end up being kind of similar to Mr. and Mrs. Smith dynamic just because it is so good for enemies to lever sexual tension. And that tends to be what most of assassin and hit Menfic go to. <laughs> you know, if it's not a rival assassin, it's an assassin and a policeman trying to catch them. Or maybe it's an assassin in the target that you meant to hit, or an assassinated boss or whatever. It's like rife with enemies to lovers details. Also, here's a fun fact. Everything you pointed out just now about their dynamic, like Kim Dokja and Yujo Kyuk's dynamic, also carries on into canon. Oh, that's so funny. I had a feeling that that was the case. I was like, this has to be reminiscent of how they actually are and how they interact in canon to some extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just seemed too perfect. <laughs> yeah. Regarding enemies to lovers, they start off, their relationship is really hard to describe because actually in ORB canon, Yu jong is the protagonist of the novel that Kim Dokja has been reading for like 10 years. So he's actually a fictional character come to life for him. And he is Kim Dokja's favorite character. It's just that he's also a little bit of a bastard. So, you know... It's kind of like a, you know, Kim Dokja thinks Yu Jung Kyuk is all, is like is simultaneously the coolest guy on earth, and also the worst person to have to work with because he knows from reading, like how terrible this guy is, how terrible this guy can be when it comes to trusting people. And meanwhile, Yu Jung Kyuk is like Kim Dokja. This guy, he knows a lot of things. I shouldn't trust him, but he's also useful, and. Okay, maybe he wants to be companions with me. Okay, maybe I'll allow that. And then somewhere along the line, it turns to, I would die for you on both ends. Yeah, well, and that's so funny because when you put it that way, that kind of like, that lets me see it in a whole new light because now I'm sort of thinking, like, how would I feel, right? Because I, I read a lot of fan fiction, right? In a lot of different fandoms. So now I'm thinking, how would I feel? If I was suddenly thrust into the canon world of some of these fandoms that I adore, right? Because, like, there's so many different characters that I'm absolutely in love with for lots of different reasons. But, like, what would that be like to suddenly be in that character's world and having to interact with them? <laughs> because some of the characters I love are bastards, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? Like, what would that be like? So, yes, I can see on the one hand where he would be like, you have a little bit of that hero worship going on. Yes, yes, absolutely. But then on the other hand, it's like, wow, this person's so difficult to like interact with and be Wait, with. Wait, am I allowed to swear in a podcast? Absolutely, yes. Yes, okay, it's like, <laughs> you know, like, you're such a bitch. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's such an interesting dynamic. You're such a bitch, but you're my little bitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just, I loved how that came through in your fic. It was so interesting to me to watch Yu Chung Hyuk's response to realizing that someone's trying to hire him to assassinate his roommate, right? Because you would think, because he's just spent like half of this fic talking about how annoying Kim Dokcha is. So you would think that he would just be like, well, that's unfortunate that I have to kill my roommate now, but oh well, I guess I have to. 
But no, like he doesn't even go there. He doesn't even entertain the thought for five seconds. You know, once he realizes that his roommate is the target, he freaks the fuck out. You know, that's the really, really fun part about the Jung Dook dynamic, which is that Kim Dook Jo is really, really terrible at taking care of himself. He's an unreliable narrator and he sacrifices himself for other people way too much. And Yoo Jung Kyuk is uh, a bit of a cindery, I guess, in the sense that he will not admit that he cares about people, but he does. So, you know, the moment Kim Dook Jo does something really stupid, Yoo Jung Kyuk is like, what the hell are you doing? Stop that! Stop that now! And tries to protect him. And that's his version of a love language, baby. Yeah, that exactly seemed to be what his love language is because he spends an exorbitant amount of time after finding out that somebody wants to assassinate his roommate, he spends all this time obsessively stalking Kim <laughs> Dok Cha after that because he's so concerned that somebody's going to do the job that he refused to do and take Kim Dok Cha out. So he like puts trackers in his shoes and <laughs> he shows up at his work and, you know, like he's constantly watching Kim Dok Cha after that to make sure that nothing bad happens to him because he can't handle the idea of anybody hurting his roommate. And you're just looking at this guy as he's going about these activities and you're just like, dude. Your feelings are showing. Did you know that? Are you aware? <laughs> yeah, that's like the exact experience while reading ORV. <laughs> like, hey, dude, this is a little bit, hmm, that's, that's a little bit fruity here. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. just a little bit fruity. Hmm. In canon, they call each other life and death companions. <laughs> oh, God, of course they do. <laughs> yeah. Also, there was this one experience I had with this fic, which was that I remember my author's note right at the very end. I stated, is it ethical to plant bugs on your roommate? Probably not, but eh. And I left it there. And I think I came back maybe a month later and I scrolled through, you know, bookmarks where people can leave comments. And I found one person that said, there's nothing ethical about Jungkook. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that morally gray area where you're like, well... It's to save his life, so I guess I better do it. But it was kind of cute because, uh, you know, at the end, Kim Dog Cha's like, dude, I knew you were an assassin the whole time. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting Yoo Chung Hyuk to be surprised that his roommate is working with the police. I was expecting that. But I wasn't expecting <laughs> Kim Dok Cha to be like, oh, yeah, I've known you were assassin this entire time. I shouldn't say anything because I like living with you, bro. You know, <laughs> it's like, what? That's also a very, a very fun little thing, both in canon and in both of the fanfics. Kim Dok Cha loves to plot the shit out of things. He is a nasty little plotter. He will plan the shit out of everything. And when it goes down, uh, usually involving a terrible amount of self-sacrifice on Kim Dok Cha's part, and it goes down and he sacrifices himself. And then all the characters in a book, and plus you, plus all the readers, they go, what the fuck, Kim Dok Cha, what are you doing? And he's like, haha, this is for the good of everyone. And then he goes off to sacrifice himself again. It's a running joke. Yeah, yeah, the running joke where everybody's frantically like running around trying to save him from himself and all of that. So that absolutely came through. This was just a delightful read. It's a one shot. So um, you can like blow through it in about, I don't know, a couple of hours after work or whatever, you know, but it was just delightful. I loved it. It was so good. I'm really glad. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was amazing. I loved it so much. Um, I was wondering if you have like a... Um, a favorite line or scene from this fic? And if so, why is that particular line or scene your favorite? Good question. I think it's been so long since I've written this, actually. I think one of my favorite, my favorite scenes in general is the portion where, you know, Yu Jung Kyuk, he says like, I'm not a stalker by nature. I'm not. I am not. I was giggling to myself while I was writing that. Because it's such a reflection of his character. Like, yeah, you're going to do some morally gray stuff. But no, you don't care about this guy at all. Yeah, he was so emphatic about it. So emphatic. I don't care. 
But yeah, yeah, you're protesting too loudly there, my dude. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> I'm glad that that's your favorite because I had a laugh at that line for sure. That was a good one. I think my other, I think my other favorite line is from when Yu sung appears. She's the co-worker of Kim Dok Joss that I mentioned uh, earlier when explaining about ORV. She is uh, one of the people that gets thrown into, you know, the entire world shifting when the apocalypse starts. And she appears here as, you know, kind of Kim Dok Joss' friend as well. So I remember, it's like another line that I remember laughing to myself while writing was, you know, when she says, oh, that's such a shame. I was about to go buy myself another cup of coffee so I could continue watching. Yes, because they're like interacting at uh, Kim Dok Cha's uh, job, right? And it was so funny. And she's just sitting there watching them interact. And she's like, this is fantastic. Free show right in front of her coffee. I would not excuse myself. I'd sit there and drink my coffee too and be like, mm, 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 mm. don't mind me. Free drama. Free couple bickering. Exactly. Two idiots exactly. going at each other verbally while you sit in the background. I think that's like the best way to spend an afternoon. Absolutely. Fly on the wall. Always worth it. With regards to the writing process, I'm always so interested to talk to writers about their writing process because everybody's is a little bit different. So I am wondering for you, which part of the writing process is most fun for you? And then which part of the writing process do you find the most challenging? I think my answer to this is probably similar to every other writer out there in that my favorite part of writing is thinking about it. And the hard part is writing. (laughs) Of course. Why can't they just appear out of thin air? You know, like sometimes you, you look at your brain and you're like, oh, you have this beautiful scene. It's playing out in your head like 4K HD, you know, some lovely little hyperfantasia things. And you're like oh, I could just beam this into my Word document. That would be great. But you can't. You have to write it on your own. It sucks. Sometimes fan fiction writers like to give advice on the podcast. So I was wondering if you could give one piece of writing advice or encouragement to other fan fiction writers out there, what would that advice be? God, am I qualified to give advice? Absolutely. Okay, let me think. I have two main points, I guess. No, three. (laughs) Three. The first one is, sooner or later, you're going to have to force yourself to write things. There's this thing I still experience sometimes. You sit down in front of a document. You're just not feeling it. You just can't write. But sooner or later, you're going to have to force yourself to write in that state just so that the words afterwards, you know, they flow easier. The hardest part's always starting. It's something I still struggle with, but, you know, I'm trying to get better. God, you know, like, it's so demoralizing to stare at a blank word document. It is, but I love your point that sometimes you just have to dig in there and start. You have to have a starting point. Once you have words on the page, even if those words are shit, now you have something to work with, right? You said you had two points, right? What's the second one? I guess the second point, you can kind of stretch it into two points instead of one. But basically what I do is that I find quite useful actually for writing in general and ideating and creating that I keep a tiny little Discord server for myself and maybe a couple of friends and I sort it into channels and every single time I see something that inspires me, I plunk it in one of the channels. I have a channel for art that inspires or cool character designs or maybe atmospheric pieces, stuff like that. You know, some things that inspire you, maybe mood music. And whenever I'm feeling uninspired, I go in there, I scroll through those channels until I find something that fits what I think I want to write. Like, let's say I'm writing a fairy tale in you and I scroll, I see something vaguely fantastical in my art channel. And I'm like, oh, this is good. This is perfect. These are the vibes that I want. And so I start building upon these kind of like images that you get from whatever inspires you. It's proven really, really useful in the past. It still proves quite useful today. That is so cool. I love that advice. It's like um, you've created your own virtual mood board or something, like a collection of things that you love, you know, and then they're right there conveniently whenever you need to scroll through and find something. I love that. 
That's absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Awesome. There's, you know, there's sometimes there's art that inspires you. And also, I guess this leads into, you know, the second half point that I wanted to talk about, which is read more. Don't just read fan fiction. I feel like a lot of fan fiction writers, as well as myself, you know, myself included, some of my friends, they fall into this thing where, you know, you read fan fiction a lot and yeah, it's going to help you improve your fan fiction skills. But at some point, you know, branch out a little bit. I'm biased. I'm a literature student. I branch out into English literature. Some stuff in there just hits so different compared to fan fiction. There are, you know, in that same Discord server that I talked about that I store my art in, I store little quotes, little poems, anything where, you know, the words speak to me. And I do the same thing. I sort them by, let's say, looking at it now, I have romantic dialogue, dramatic dialogue, fantasy world, dramatic scene, stuff like that. Quite vague-ish descriptors, but, you know, you can sort them into kind of a general idea of what the vibes are, and then you go searching. That's usually what I do. And, you know, these quotes come from anywhere. Like, I think I have game dialogue in here. I have poems from another language translated. I have quotes from classic English literature. I think I have, like, you know, picture of Dorian Gray quotes in here. FCP quotes. There are some you know, song of bikinis quotes or just some other random ones that I have no idea where they're from. I just kind of store them in there. Because for me, a huge part of my writer's block comes from the fact that the words don't flow right to me. I'm a writer that relies quite a bit on, you know, the rhythm and cadence of words, how they feel when you sound them up in your brain or in your mouth. I usually utilize that when I can to kind of control the rhythm and flow of the story. So when I feel like I can't get it right, it makes it really hard for me to write. So for a lot of these quotes, I usually just use them as a way to get the ball rolling on the general mood. There are some quotes that are really, really just hit different. Oh my goodness. I love what you just said there. You have finally put into words what I experience (laughs) with reading. I happen to have one of those brains that is in love with the cadence and the rhythm of words as I see them on the page or as I am saying them out loud. And I never quite knew how to put that into words. You did that so perfectly. This is the first time that I have heard the idea of collecting different quotes from literature that have that quality or that attribute to them that you can refer back to when you feel like, man, I just can't find my cadence. I just can't find my rhythm, you know, with my own project. What do I do? Because um, I have noticed that phenomenon myself. When I read, <laughs> uh, you know, a novel or something that has a particularly like really satisfying cadence to it, if I read a couple of chapters out of that, and then write something of my own, I notice a huge difference in my ability to write something satisfying, I guess, you know. So that's so perfect. I'm so glad that you said that. That was for me. Thank you. I'm going to remember that and probably start my own collection because that's brilliant. I love that. I think there was a Tumblr post that I came across a while back, or maybe like a quote from something that I remember seeing. I think it was Tumblr. But it was a guy explaining how the rhythm and cadence in writing works. You know, sometimes when you are, when you want to write long descriptive things, you can go on and on. Fantastical worlds, you know, beautiful little things. You just go on and on and on when you describe something. And then suddenly you can break it up with small, choppy little sentences. So that, you know, you continually engage your reader's interest. And I remember the quote in that explanation was, Make your writing sing. Make your paragraphs sing to readers. That's how it feels like. Yes. Well, you know, that absolutely came through in your writing. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, it was. Like, just the words that you used and the way that the the rhythm sounded, that alone was so interesting to me <laughs> and and kept me, like, so captivated the entire time. And then, of course, the story itself was, was so entertaining and wonderful. But yes, like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. Thank you for putting that into words. 
this whole time I've been struggling to explain this to people. <laughs> and that explains it perfectly. The cadence and the rhythm. I love that. I think like maybe about two years into my foray into fandom, like I realized that this rhythm and cadence thing was what really set apart a good fic and a great fic for me. Because all the really, really good fics that are like, you know, fandom classics, they have this way with words and rhythm that you might not see in certain other fanfics. And I think to me, you know, that's what puts them at the top. So I spent quite a while trying to emulate it in my own writing. And I'm still slowly trying to do it bit by bit. But, you know, it's nice to hear that it did work to a certain extent. It did, because even though I struggled with like putting that into words, it's something that I have been aware of just intuitively forever. So I always find myself gravitating towards the fics that are like that. Um, and I agree, like to me, those are my fandom classics. The ones where the writing itself and the mechanics of it is so interesting and is always keeping you on your toes, keeping you engaged. And it just sounds lyrical when you say it out loud. There are times when I'll see paragraphs on the page and I'm just like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. And I have to say it out loud. I'm in a room all by myself with my dog. And he's like, what are you doing? But, you know, sometimes I can't help myself and I just have to say it out loud because it's so goddamn beautiful. You know? When I see those like specific paragraphs that are so beautiful, I do this thing where I screenshot them and then I add them to my little Discord syllabus. <laughs> so just like a little reminder, you know. Gotta take inspiration where you can. Well, we are coming up on the end of our episode today. Do you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the podcast? Hmm. I think I'd like to give a shout out to just generically the entire Omnisun Readers Viewpoint fandom and the Link Click fandom. Those are the two fandoms I've been in most recently. There are so many amazing writers in the ORV fandom especially and I think there's this actually, maybe it's because ORV itself is themed around how a reader loves a story, how the story will love you back if you appreciate it hard enough, and how writers will write stories for readers. So like, I feel like that also kind of fed into the fan fiction writing community for ORV especially, because I think the community there has been some of, you know, there's some of the greatest people. And there's a, so much more appreciation for fanfic writers in this fandom, especially, which I think is really, really cool. I absolutely love that. And I love hearing when fandom communities are beautiful, encouraging places to be. That always makes me happy to hear. Yes, yeah. And also, other writers. Uh, I'm in a Discord server, a tiny little server for writers. So this is a little shout out to the Archivy tree. Uh, that's the name of the Discord server. It's where I actually first heard of Fanfic Maverick because some other writers have been on a podcast before. Serena, I think. Yeah, Serena was the original person who shared it here, I think. Uh, you had them on, I think, a while ago. But yes, Archive Tree, this is for you. Thank you for being an incredibly nice little writing community, especially for, you know, fanfic, original writing, everything. Thank you. Oh, I love that. Thank you for shouting out your communities. I think that's beautiful. Kudos to those beautiful communities where people support each other and are just really nice, wonderful places to be. Silenced Mockingjay, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. I was really happy to be here and this was really, really enjoyable. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. The pleasure was all mine. Check out his stories on AO3 and give him some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.